Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a live edition of Direct Xbox. This is Direct Xbox number 12. Of course, all of our podcasts now will be just live streamed. So it'll be nice to basically have the show up when things are happening rather than it come out later on necessarily for like the public to see and stuff. And what we'll do is after this podcast ends, we'll have like 20 or 30 minute post show where we'll be talking specifically with the Patreon uh, through its own stream. So if you want to check that out, of course, you can click the link down below the Spawncast Network, Spawncast Patreon, and join up there. But let me just go right to him. The man of like the last week or two online caused quite the stir. So if people have been anticipating your return, Nate, to I guess just the, the video game world, the podcasting world. Nate the Hate is here with us tonight. Yes, it's been a very interesting i guess you'd say two weeks i have been labeled a sony pony despite releasing one of the more optimistic xbox predictions videos for 2024 so it's very very shocking to see the labels and harassment being thrown my way for simply reporting some information video games this is serious stuff nate this is a serious business it is it's, uh, uh... <laughs> apparently i apparently picked a fight with the wrong tribe I mean, I feel like that's like all, all of them, technically. Well, yeah. <laughs> Except for the Stadia. Hey, Stadia, we we, we came in peace. <laughs> then we left quietly. <laughs> hey, yeah, we left so, that civilization just completely broke, bankrupt, and devoid of life. Well, if people are unaware, Nate dropped some uh, some information that was not disputed by anyone. That includes Microsoft themselves around a first party Microsoft game. We'll say that's been on Xbox and you can say even PC. Sure. Uh, would be going to other consoles. We'll get into that though. I think later on in the show, because we have some more recent news that was very exciting with the developer direct that took place with some, uh, some pretty good looking games, I think, but also games that definitely caused a stir online just based on, some of the, the directions that they went in. Uh, and I did want to throw Power World in there because there is a almost Microsoft falling backwards a bit into what has turned into an explosive 24 hours for a game that I don't even think was on most people's radars until like legitimately today. So uh, a lot to get into uh, here during direct Xbox. Of course, I want to give a shout out to the, the patrons over on the Spawncast network. We have different producers that I, I want to shout out here, as well as our sponsor. A sponsor being the Game Orb. Make sure you check out their channel. It is linked down below. They do all kinds of gameplay streams, videos with recordings, as well as go out to different shows and uh, different events, whether it's uh, different video game conventions or Nintendo Live or TwitchCon. They got all kinds of stuff going on over there. And want to give them a big thank you for continuing to sponsor the Spawncast Network here. That's the Game Orb. Check them out down below in the description. Then for our producer tier, we have executive producers, Achievement. We have John O, Joshua Butts, Mr. Joby, William Hogue. And I do want to throw Trent A in there as a producer. So shout out to all the supporters, of course, over on the Patreon and Spawncast Network. Love that link down below. Nate, let's, uh, do we want to start with, we'll start with the developer direct. Developer direct. Almost 50 minutes. It was like 48 and some change. But they showed off games that are all coming out this year. So they all got the 
2024 label with at least one date thrown out there, which is you know exciting to see that because we saw games that we're going to be playing in the next 12 months at the, at, at the most we assume at this point, right? Delays can happen, but they also show off a pretty good variety of, of games, just general, general view, Nate, without diving into too much for any one game. What did you just think of the overall developer direct? I think overall the presentation was a step up compared to last year's presentation. And it's just the quality of games that were on display was substantially of higher quality. They, the presentation itself, the, the way it is composed, you know, with the chalk outlines coming up, them writing on the dates and everything, I think is some of the best presentations that Microsoft has done. And I would say the show overall was a good tone setter for 2024 for the Xbox and Microsoft. We have those release windows on all these upcoming games and it let people know, hey, the Xbox is here in 2024. We have some major releases. Here are the tent poles that we are comfortable dating now in January. And we have something to look forward to with a release in May. And then we're going to look really to June where we can get dates on some of those other titles. And then what Microsoft has in store for us for the future come 2025 and hopefully beyond. Yeah, I I feel like this was if you just look at the show itself without necessarily like okay, I like this game or not. I mean, each game had gameplay. Each one had a a fair amount of time dedicated to it, and each one got at least a release year window. So, in terms of we always talk about how CG gets shown for a game and it's frustrating because we don't really know what we're looking at. In this case, they legitimately showed us in game at times it seemed like they were just sitting down at a computer for example with uh, something like aura and just hey here here we are playing the game this is what it is so in that regard i think that is probably the best way to go and i like the idea of focusing in on like four or five games at the most but allotting them 50 minutes even just to really talk about each game in depth rather than try to jam like 30 or 35 games or something into a 45 minute block. So I, I think the direction of this, as long as they're able to do them, I'll say with more frequency, like they want to have one big game per quarter. I like the idea of them having one of these developer directs four games each or something every other quarter as well. Like just kind of talk big games, small games, doesn't matter. Just kind of mm. putting them together there and just going over or giving updates on titles. Yeah, I think one per half of the year would definitely be suitable for Microsoft because we got those in-depth looks with Hellblade 2, Avowed, and Indiana Jones. And now if there are any other games potentially coming this year that could be announced in, say, June, you also want to have that opportunity to have another in-depth look at those games. And as we saw with this developer direct, they're no longer exclusive to just first party, apparently. So if you can include some other third party partners, be it Square Enix, Capcom, Bandai Namco, and so forth in some future developer directs, I think that can really expand the brand in a very advantageous way for Microsoft where people can continually look forward to them. And it's a good competitor to Sony's state of play where if Microsoft is able to showcase some of their upcoming third party deals, be it Game Pass day one, and we're getting an in-depth look at those titles. That's beneficial to both Microsoft and the development partner to allow the audience to get a nice view as to what the game is going to be, get a look at the gameplay, get an idea of the narrative. So it's hopefully something Microsoft will leverage in the future. And I hope they do at least two developer directs per calendar year. But 
even just having the one in January to set the tone for the coming year, have the major showcase in June, I think that's a really strong pathway for Microsoft as well, as we know they like to end the year with having a meaningful presence at the Game Awards, as we just recently saw just a month ago, where they announced Blade, we had the Hellblade 2 trailer and such. So Microsoft feels as though they're really approaching the calendar year in a very intelligent way, where there feels as though there's a constant flow of news relating to the brand and some of the releases coming to the platform. So that's a good point. I, You know, you have the developer direct to start, you have your showcase over the summer when i mean e3's gone but they would do something probably to line up i assume with like summer game fest and then developer direct close out you know they could probably do three shows we'll say of uh, like substantial value and then throw some stuff in at the game awards at the end of the year i think that would come together pretty well for them and every every two weeks or so they have a new press release for game pass games and they usually slip a couple of surprises in there as well so I think the idea of just a constant cadence of announcements for Microsoft with how many IPs, how many studios they have, and then all these platforms are trying to support, which take aside the consoles, but you bring mobile in. And I think these developer directs, it's going to sound weird to people now, but in five or six years, you might see some mobile games in there. It, it sounds strange, but I mean, we just looked at Aura and that was a PC only strategy game mm -hmm. right it, and then it's next to first person magic shooter kind of game so i that wouldn't shock me if mobile worked its way in there too but I mean, just that's just gonna saying. be that is gonna be a thing that microsoft is probably going to have to solve in the next year or so is that once the abk acquisition is entirely complete you're gonna have to find venues where you're going to showcase not only the bethesda zenimax games as well as Xbox Game Studio, but also those Activision games. And when it comes time for a developer direct or even the June showcase, it almost feels as though there's going to be too much for an individual presentation. So you have to wonder if they're going to leverage things like QuakeCon or BlizzCon to announce certain products or still rely on Jeff Keighley and other means to announce the next Call of Duty or, you know, potentially just go to Twitter and do press release drops because you can't envision Microsoft going into a June showcase where they're going to have all those Activision games, all the Bethesda games, all the Xbox Game Studio games. We're already pushing 90 minute shows. Are we going to get a two and a half hour showcase from Microsoft and, you know, potentially, let's say 2025, once all of this is truly under their umbrella? Or are they going to find a way to really space it out to allow all those franchises to have a little bit of time to shine without them competing essentially against themselves? I feel like that's why they wanted to do inside Xbox. Remember they wanted, they were trying to do that every single month and eventually they got to the point where they just had nothing to talk about. And somehow they wanted to do a two hour show and it just, it, it felt really, really boring and obvious that they weren't sure how to handle that. And now it feels like they could kind of do that. But I, I think the idea of two or three developer directs at most per year, and then you have your big showcase. I think that can all work together with their press releases for game pass, but Let's uh, let's get into this developer direct. So we had five total games. One was from a third party that was meant to be kind of a surprise, although Nate technically ruined it on Twitter. Uh, and then four other games were first party games from Microsoft. What? So the first one they the first one they showed was Avowed. That is launching fall 2024 Xbox and PC, of course, through Game Pass. 
And this, I mean, this is Obsidian making to me what looks like their, I mean, it kind of looks like their take on Skyrim. When I look at it, I was like, oh, it's it's very reminiscent of Skyrim. But the combat, they do have dual wielding wands, shield swords, guns. They have loadouts that apparently change on the fly, branching paths for dialogue. Uh, they say there's a lot of consequences to what you do, but I feel like I've heard that with like a hundred different games at this point. So I kind of have to see that one play out. But for Avowed, based on what they showed, outside of, I think, my one concern is probably the, the combat looked a little janky at times. And it, I mean, everyone kind of said it. It didn't look like it had a lot of impact. Like, if I hit somebody with a massive 80-pound axe, I, I kind of want them to reel a little bit from it rather than just kind of make a blood-splashing effect on their body when it hits them and then I just keep swinging. But uh, what what'd you think of Avowed, Nate? Combat is definitely the one area of concern I have with it, and nothing in the presentation really assuaged those concerns. It was very unimpactful. Even the magic and such, it just looked very meh. But when it comes to an Obsidian game, combat has always taken kind of the background. The real interest of Obsidian is the writing. It's going to be the narrative, it's going to be those decisions, and seeing the repercussions that those decisions will have. So if Obsidian is able to capitalize on what they do best, and that's storytelling, I think Avowed could be positioned as that nice fantasy RPG that the system is definitely sorely lacking. But the combat is definitely a bit concerning right now. I think the visuals, as far as the environments go, was really appealing, very colorful, definitely has that fantasy vibe to it. But some of the character models or the enemies that we saw, particularly the dinosaur alligator thing and the armor that they continue to show time and time again, something about him, it looked a little too cartoony to the point where it was almost flat in terms of texture detail, but the human characters look better than Starfield and such. Maybe you could argue that the visual art style or approach is a little inconsistent, but it could also have been the stream, maybe the quality of the footage that we were getting over the stream. So I think my main concern really just comes back to the combat. And as long as it is satisfactory and the story and the narrative go above and beyond and match the quality that we usually get from Obsidian, I think the game can overcome even a weak combat system. In visions of mana as well. I just wanted to throw this in there before we talk about... Uh... Hellblade 2 mostly because Nate ruined it on Twitter and no one noticed so I'll just I'll throw that in there but is the I first time no the mana series <laughs> is the first time the mana series is releasing on Xbox which I had to think about that for a second and I was like yeah you know I guess that I guess that is that is true and it's coming summer 2024 Xbox PC of course also on uh on the PlayStation and I don't know everyone seems to think it's on the Switch too as well but it's on the at least at this time Xbox PC PlayStation and I, it looks good. We've seen it. I've, I mean, we've already seen it, but visually speaking, it reminds me kind of of a Dragon Quest Eleven with uh, them leaning even more so into the, into like the stylized cell shading look. But it was, I think, a good move for Microsoft to include this, even though they were obviously focusing on first party because they are trying so hard to build this relationship with Square. I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, "Hey, you just want to, just want to throw something in here." <laughs> What do you want to drop in here? Visions of Mana, great. Bring it over because Phil on mm. stage, Final Fantasy 14, almost shadow dropping and then being pulled back. 
now this they they really want square enix there i i feel like they're trying hard to get like fun in the background to get final fantasy 7 remake on the xbox and they'll probably position to try to get 17 as well when that's ready in like eight years or something yeah this move mostly felt to me as though a means of microsoft saying we will work well with you square enix give us an opportunity to showcase one of your games and it's a visions of mana likely a game that Sony's not that invested in because Sony's main focus right now is going to be Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. That's the game they want to market. That's something they have a vested interest in. They have the exclusive clause with it. That's something that they're hoping to move hardware with. When you look at Visions of Mana, it's a good opportunity for Microsoft to play nice with Square. I think it was kind of a bit of a misfire on Microsoft's side not to pair the Square Enix segment of the Developer Direct by giving a release date to Octopath Traveler 2 because it was only dated for early 2024 back at the Tokyo Game Show and we are now in early 2024. So I think that would have been a nice opportunity to give that a release date, confirm if it's coming to Game Pass and even date Final Fantasy 14 and when that will begin on the Xbox because you had the Blogwire post go up early. It, we know it's coming in February. This would have been that nice opportunity to just say, Here's a few things we are working with Square Enix on for the Xbox brand and do a nice little compact announcement. And it would get people kind of talking about the significance of Square Enix interrupted the developer direct that, yes, we've only had two of these broadcasts so far, but they've always been first party focused. Now that they're there, what type of future opportunities does this mean for the developer direct? So I think it could have gone a little further than it did because otherwise it almost felt out of place. And I saw a lot of online reaction of people being confused. And the fact that the Visions of Mana segment ended simply with a coming out summer 2024 and there was no Game Pass announcement or such, it kind of had people just scratching their head of what was the significance of this? And the significance really just comes down to Microsoft and Square Enix have a healthy relationship right now and hopefully this is just a start and bigger, greater things are to come. I almost wonder if that's something they're saving for an even bigger event, if they do a big blowout with Square, where they have like a big sizzle reel of all these different games that they're bringing in. Because they did that before with the older Final Fantasies. They're like, we're all of them are going to be available in Game Pass at some point. I almost wonder if they would reenact that, but with Final Fantasy VII Remake, and uh 16 and you know all these other things down the road if they could make it all happen together but save that for their big game showcase over the summer uh but i it, it does seem like they're becoming closer and closer with square enix and let's be real square enix probably sees microsoft as a massive checkbook that they can leverage just just to be real that's that's, that's probably what they're seeing and I would be shocked if they Square Enix also looks at Microsoft and a lot of the advancements they're making with AI as they've talked about blockchain, AI, all those technology words that get thrown around. Square's doing all of it, or at least looking into it. I mean, they look at Microsoft and realize that they are at like the forefront of artificial intelligence currently, and that could play into a future with games. So why not position alongside one of the biggest players there? So I think there's a lot of layers to that entire we'll say relationship that's forming right now, but Hey, if it means they could get more of their games onto the Xbox mm -hmm. platform and game pass and square can get more money to make more final fantasies, then sure. Why not? Let's, yeah, let's see it's going to be interesting to see how the relationship really develops and evolves over the coming months throughout 2024 into 2025, because as you mentioned, 
we have seen the Square Enix Xbox relationship kind of blossom before where Square Enix and Microsoft did partner to bring pretty much every mainline Final Fantasy game to Game Pass at one point. And that was a big announcement at the time. A lot of excitement were around it. And then things significantly cooled between the two. And now that it's ramping back up with 14, Octopath Traveler, Visions of Mana, ideally we see some other games from the back catalog, something like Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster. By no means a huge release, but if that's something they can get on Game Pass day one and they could announce at, let's say, the June showcase, maybe Tokyo Game Show, because it's not that big of a deal, it would at least give people confidence that there is something brewing between the two, and maybe it gets on the same level of what we're seeing Microsoft and Sega Atlas kind of formulating right now, because whenever there is a Persona release, it's come to Game Pass. We also saw Microsoft have the marketing rights to a brand new IP coming from the Persona team back at the showcase last June. Mm -hmm. So if we can see that develop with Square Enix, something similar to that, that can be a huge advantage for Microsoft moving forward because it allows them to offer a variety of game options in both Game Pass and just the platform itself. It will never compete with the PlayStation when it comes to Square Enix support, but at least they can look to it and say, we have these games as well. And that's important when you're building you know, an ecosystem to say, we do have the support of a company Okay, Nate. like Square, we have Atlas as well. We're not going to take over Japan, but we can get that Western fan that's interested in those Japanese games at least. And they can be a little more competitive with both Sony and Nintendo when it comes to the Japanese RPG or anything from, you know, a Square Enix type company. I lost you there for a minute. That's why I started talking. Uh, okay, Nate, Hellblade 2. Hellblade 2 got its release date. And you know, it's it's about where we figured, we, we thought it'd be first half of this year. It's May, May 21st, 2024. Hey, that rumor ended up being correct. So we're looking third week of May. Xbox, of course, and PC through Game Pass. Before I get to the the part that kind of set the internet off a bit, from what we saw, the game looks super high quality. Like visually, it looks great. The audio is probably the biggest thing in Make 2 to push that, where instead of it just being sort of the the spatial sound for voice it's everything like all the sounds the environments all of that will also work into them projecting sound behind you like you want to play this with headphones like you did the first one but it is i, I kind of feel like that third person narrative driven experience that has that attention detail and that high quality that microsoft has been looking to push more and more to kind of compete right next to sony to a degree Although again, we're going to come back around to uh, some of the some of the things that have kind of put people a bit off of this release, even. But uh, we've seen this multiple times. We were just waiting for that release date at this point, were we, Nate? Yeah, we were just waiting for him to finally give it a release date. We've seen Hellblade two dating back to December of 2019, so it was definitely a case of just give us a release date. We just saw it at the Game Awards, and I guess you could make the argument that they could have dated it there. But at least we got an in-depth look at the combat system, the sound system with the spatial binary and all those features. So it was a good way for us to see the improvements and how they've expanded on the scope of the game from the original. But it's great to finally have a release date, have it come out in just four more months and really be the first major release that the platform has seen since, what, last September. So... 
it starts 2024 off stronger than what we had in 2023, where I guess you would make the argument that Redfall is what started last year, and we all saw how that went. Yeah, well, well yeah, yeah. Hey, some of us beat that game, thank you. Yes, we I saw, was there. We saw those we, we saw those achievement percentages. Mm-hmm. We saw the single digit achievement percentages <laughs> pop up when we, we took beat out the game the... and it came up like point two percent or something. Oh no. Yeah. And then the game just it just kind of ended. It's just like you beat the game. Here's it the credits. Did. And we all sat there saying that was it. It did. I didn't feel the need to go back for more. So I was hey, I was good there. We still have DLC good. coming. Oh, great. <laughs> Can't wait for that one. Okay, so Hellblade 2 Nate is okay, digital only. It's $50, and the link has been compared to the first one. So there's a lot that they just threw out immediately with that in the press release that followed after showing it off. Uh, digital only $50, similar length as the first one. So people are thinking, okay, this is a seven or eight hour game, and it's kind of reflective on the price point that they're putting it at with $50. Because remember, we're up to $70 games now. So that, that technically that's a bigger gap between full price and this, I mean, more budget-oriented price that we see with something like an Assassin's Creed Mirage, as an example, right? So that immediately spells, okay, shorter experience, but not necessarily a, a bad experience, but not in their mind enough to justify the $70 tag and apparently not enough to justify a physical release. That's the one that tripped me a bit. I get, okay, $50, sure, because let's be real, they're trying to get people in the Game Pass anyway. Digital only. We saw it with Alan Wake 2. We're seeing it with Hellblade 2. There's also a memo going around at Walmart that's uh, apparently mentioning Starfield Xbox physical copies even being pulled from shelves. Mm-hmm. I don't really get what that one's about, but it does kind of link up to them saying, okay, this first party game is going to be digital only. Is this is this a trend we're going to see continued over the next couple of years now for to end this generation, really? We're technically in the second half just about of this generation. We're seeing systems that don't have disk drives for like by default with the PS5 now with that new system, you got to get an attachable one. Microsoft's been doing it since the beginning, of course, with their Series S. Hmm. What do you you think, Nate? Is this, are we seeing that shift? Like official shift? Okay, guys, digital only. It's, we're almost there. I wouldn't say that we are now beginning to see that shift. I'd say we began to see the shift in 2020 because Look at the amount of Xbox games released this generation already that lack a retail presence. Hi-Fi Rush, mm. Pentiment, Grounded. There are numerous games. Hellblade 2 is simply continuing that. And you could make the case that other titles, be it Halo Infinite, Starfield, and such, that did have retail releases, didn't have the complete game on the disc to begin with. So in the case of Hellblade 2... It's really mirroring the exact release pattern that the first game had. If you remember when it was a PlayStation 4 exclusive, it was digital only. It was eventually a year later published at retail by 505. And then when Microsoft bought Ninja Theory, they also published a physical version of Hellblade for the Xbox, while the Switch continues to remain digital only. So with Hellblade 2 being digital only, it's not that surprising given the trend that Microsoft has really approached this generation as. The $50 price point I think is more surprising 
And it definitely brings up the question of by going digital only, did that allow them to come in at a discounted budget price of $50? Whereas had they done a physical retail presence, would it have been 70? Hmm. I, uh, hmm. I wonder how big Hellblade 2 is in terms of file size. Because given the I, quality of the assets and everything that we're seeing and you have to figure it's coming in at a minimum of at least what 35 gigs you think what it's was that the, small you think it's going to eclipse 50 i mean that you see that game and i almost wonder if there's like uncompressed textures uncompressed audio the whole thing and it and it comes into where it's larger than what like a, a single layer blu-ray or even a dual layer blu-ray right because I I was unaware of this at first. MVG kind of uh, alluded to it, then tell, told me about it. Was that the reason, for example, Baldur's Gate Three is an extra disc compared to the PS5 version? Because Microsoft apparently doesn't have that hundred gigabyte Blu-ray disc, or they don't. They never really used it or care to use it. And I must wonder if they're thinking we're we're already just about to the end of the generation. Why would we use it anyway now? or for like the physical media or they just don't have enough where they feel the need to print it. Like, are they to that point now? Do you think where they feel like it's not, it's just not viable. It's not worth it because they, I mean, they have the numbers on their end for digital mm -hmm. to physical split. And I feel like with things like game pass and them obviously pushing out early on uh, a system that was cheaper and had the, the $300 price on it that I mean, might be 50, 50 or close to it. I was wondering if they're like, yeah, you know, well, we could, we could probably do this digital only. I think that would work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really comes down to their main focus is to sell a service and that service is Game Pass. And they mm. are definitely going to want to position something like Hellblade 2 as a Game Pass game, though you could make the counter argument that if they really want to entice you into a Game Pass subscription, should they have then priced the game at $70 to make Game Pass a more appealing acquisition to you? Because at fifty dollars as a budget, you might have more interest in just buying the game outright versus subscribing to Game Pass to access it. That's true. Yet, do you think this plays any anything at all into a mid-gen refresh with no disk drive? There's like it's coming up anyway. Why why are we gonna do a physical release of this thing? If the slide had never leaked. Would you make that connection, or is it something that no. you only make because I mean, the slide had leaked? I would have made that. I, I've I've made that connection before the slide that the next generation won't have a disk drive in. I thought 2028, but now we're hearing like, oh, it might start sooner at 2026 or something. But even then, I'm thinking that just wouldn't have a disk drive either, and that would be their big push and the reason they'd make the breakaway. But that's uh, that's kind of where I am with that. Is they're working towards it. It's more a matter of when, not if, at this time. And I don't know that that Hellblade too at a digital only. That caught me off guard a little bit. I'll admit I, it, it being $50 is like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah, I think the price point caught a lot of people by surprise because this is the first Xbox Series X game that we saw. We saw this game mm -hmm. four plus years ago, and everyone was kind of envisioning it as that first major release for the hardware. This was going to be that visual showcase. This was going to be positioned as a huge, huge release for the platform. And then for it to come in at a budget price is definitely a case of wonder of, okay, why is this coming in a little cheaper? And 
I mean, maybe the budget of the game is substantially lower or Microsoft. You think so? I mean, it's been in development for, I mean, well, okay. It's, it's a seven year gap just about from the first one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they were working on it immediately after the end of the first one, but I mean, kind of close to it. If you think, I mean, they showed it in 2019, right next to the Xbox series X. Mm-hmm. So it's been worked. I mean, some of the stuff they're showing when they did the developer direct, that looked, that looked expensive. Some of the stuff they were using. So yeah, very uh, seven, a mean, seven to eight hour game for six. We'll even just give, say six years of development time. That's uh, that, that. I assume this is going to be just a super high quality, heavy attention detail, all the bells and whistles of visuals and audio. And hopefully mm-hmm. it doesn't feel even at 78 hours is bloated. If it's just like a tight knit seven to eight hours and I'm subscribed, I'm subscribed to Game Pass. So I'm just getting it there and playing it. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. But uh, it's expectations i think for those seven to eight hours seven to eight hours are, are a bit higher for me now because i'm like oh, okay what's what have they been what are they working on this this past six or seven years that amounts to that seven or eight hour game that's the thing with ninja theory and hellblade it's definitely a game that you don't want to overstay its welcome it has a very clear point that it wants to make with its narrative so going like full open world, God of War, Ragnarok style, definitely wouldn't be suitable sure. for a game like Hellblade 2. This is something that needs to be tighter, more story narrative driven, because you're dealing with the psychosis. You're dealing with you know her inner demons and everything that's happening. You can't just wander around and you know pick glacial ice so you can go to your skill tree to level up a sword. That's not what the game's focus is. So I think a well-paced strong eight-hour experience will be more than sufficient here it's just going to come down to are they going to be able to deliver that narrative in a well-paced environment that is impactful to the player and that was the thing with hellblade one is that as people went through it it was definitely an experience that some people felt as though it was moving and it was very powerful and when you're looking at what they're doing here it looks as though they're trying to amplify that and evolve it in a very significant way. And the scope of the game is definitely much more vast than the first game, just based on the footage that we've seen so far. It's not vast in the sense that the whole world has expanded and become more open, but you have additional characters on the screen, whereas Hellblade 1 was a very solitary experience. So we have group battles. The combat system is definitely far more engaging than the first game was, so it's going to be an interesting game to really get our hands on. It really just comes down to that pacing. If it can deliver a strong narrative within that eight to 10 hours, I'm going to put my faith in Ninja Theory right now and hope that they're able to deliver. All right, Nate, Aura History Untold. Really want to have an opinion on this game, and I just, I I can't. <laughs> I, I just not really I need really... titles. I really have nothing to say on this title. I'm glad the game exists in the sense of offering diversity in a software lineup, but this is not a genre for me. As the sequence is going on, it's just kind of, you know, snoozing off. I just cannot find myself interested in this particular title. If you have interest in this game, I'm happy for you. I'm happy this game exists for you, but this is a nothing for me. Strategy game, developers from games like Civilization V behind it. It's fall 2024 for PC. All right, so it's it's a PC-specific game, which, again, you look at it, and then you look at your Xbox troll, and you're like, ooh, this would be 
this will be tough to, to match up. But the Xbox does support keyboard and mouse, so maybe they're just thinking PC now, and then like they did with Age of Empires, it'll go to Xbox later. But that that's kind of where I was. I have fond memories of the original Age of Empires, like when our people on the map were the same size as our buildings. That's that's where I was. Now it looks it looks super like complex what they were showing. But if you're really into those games and you enjoyed Civilization, that seems like one you definitely want to keep an eye on and, and check out. All right, the big one. This is this is the one that I feel like most, probably everyone to be honest, everyone tuned in to see, even just out of curiosity. Machine Games tackling an Indiana Jones title. Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is the title for it. Todd Howard talked about even being nervous that he was when he was going to pitch it to Lucasfilm, and obviously they went for it, and like they really went for it because they have Harrison Ford's likeness in the game, which that was obviously kind of a build up and reveal as they were kind of panning around with his hand in the way of his face, and Troy Baker is doing the voice, which he's like found a whole new voice for this it seems it's very very close to like that era that we're thinking of for harrison ford and big controversy around this it is first person it has like cuts to third person for traversal so when you swing around on a whip for example which good idea because i we've seen what that can do to people uh in terms of motion sickness for certain games where they try to go full first person but it is 2024 Xbox and PC. So originally we talked about this coming maybe sooner than people were expecting. It is indeed coming this year. So that is pretty exciting. Ah, okay. Nate, Indiana Jones first person. Yay or nay. Cause we were, we were kind of talking about this before. And we're like, you know, I kind of feel like third person's the move here, but they went first person. I think the move to first person was the perfect move. Okay, you know, it's it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people were thinking third person, third person, third person. Like, Sean is someone who was really like, okay, it cannot be first person. And then it is, and they showed it, and they're like, okay, that was pretty good. I'm okay with this now. So, yeah, I feel like I, if I had the choice, if they're like, make this game either third or first, I would make it third person. But I'm not, I'm not hating the first person that they showed off here. It looks... It looks it, it looks like it has like somewhat of a comedic tone, like when you pick up the guy and just start punching him in the face over and over again. I know they synced it up to the music, but it had that kind of ridiculous look to it at times. Uh, but it, I mean, it felt like it felt like Indiana Jones when they were showing it that kind of style. And mm-hmm. the only thing I'm a little concerned about is there if there is a heavy reliance on puzzle solving, kind of what they were showing. I think that might get annoying for me, but if it's here and there kind of thing, like for example, in a, in in like tomb Raider, when you go into certain tombs and stuff, you can solve puzzles for extra bits. And there are some that are mandatory, but it's, it's not overtaking the entirety of the game necessarily. I, I think I'd be okay with that. So what would you think of Indiana Jones? I think they captured the essence and the vibe of Indiana Jones incredibly well in the debut trailer. And as far as the puzzle concerns, I think as long as the game is paced and it's comprised of a lot of adventure and archaeological searches and, you know, finding stuff and just exploring, then you have the occasional puzzle mixed in here and there, maybe similar to the pacing of an Uncharted game 
where you have those environmental puzzles just to overcome a gap or to be able to move forward. I think that would be fine, but you can definitely tell there's a lot of, there's a lot of that core feel of Wolfenstein from machine games here. You can feel the influence of Wolfenstein, but the fact that we're moving to so many different areas across the globe, as we saw, we're going to the Himalayas. There also looked like there's a sequence that we're going to be potentially closer to the coastline, be it maybe China or even Japan, because you saw a Japanese plane in one of the sequences. Mm -hmm. But the amount of, I guess, the variety of gameplay styles that we're seeing here with the traversal, stealth, combat, it feels as though this is really blending just numerous genre types, and it looks very cohesive in what they're doing, at least in the demonstration that we have seen thus far. And Machine Games is just a fantastic developer. Wolfenstein, both games were just fantastic. So it feels as though it's in very good hands. And the fact that they are able to catch, you know, really capture the vibes and feel that make Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones is very encouraging. This feels as though this game feels like something we haven't seen come from Microsoft since the Xbox 360 generation. And that is a good thing. It shows just growth and it's showing variety. And I think the game could potentially be positioned as one of the strongest releases come the second half of 2024. This is going to be a game that if it reviews well and it is able to capture everything that it is aiming to do, is going to have exceptionally strong word of mouth. And this is going to be that game you talk about with friends. And they're going to say, hey, I got to get an Xbox so I can play that Indiana Jones game that I'm seeing the commercials run for, where I'm seeing those accolade trailers and such. This game could be that title for Xbox. Finally, it just came four years, you know, too late into the generation. Had the game come out a year ago, maybe two years ago, if COVID had never happened, this whole generation could have gone a different way. It's unfortunate it's coming out as late as it is in the generation. You think but I think Indiana the Jones game is, is going to be that big. Strong, yes. You think Indiana Jones is that strong of an IP? Okay. This is, it's a very iconic character. People. It is. I mean, people remember the original trilogy quite fondly, be it Last of the Crusade, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can ignore the more recent Indiana Jones films, but just the, the jingle, ones. the jingle is iconic. Everyone knows it. And that's why they synced up the punching of the Nazi with that sequence, mm -hmm. because it was humorous. It got people to smile and say, okay, I'm interested in this. But I think this is a potentially going to be a big win for Microsoft when the game comes out later this year. And I would not be surprised if it is in the game of the year conversation. I think machine games is going to turn out a quality product. Yeah. And uh, Microsoft's advertising has been a little strange at times because there are many spots where they just, they don't do any this. I, okay. So it seems like this is going to, I think going to line up. I don't know if you agree with it's Nate for, second half maybe september release potentially I, I, i'm saying that because they i assume they want it to avoid call of duty by a solid month uh so i but also mm. have it there ready to roll for the holidays but it, it, if they just get it out around that time right so august september mm -hmm. somewhere in there that seems like one of the big games that you put 
on standees in stores or on commercials in general if you're having the xbox being shown you put some money for marketing behind indie like it to me makes the most yeah, sense this... it's a character people know and they can relate yeah. it to the xbox yeah this is a game you put a huge marketing push behind and that's the thing you run tv commercials when the game is out there you hear the indiana jones theme and you're going to look up from your phone and say wait a minute and if you see a hype sizzle trailer on tv it's going to catch your interest like whoa there's an indiana jones game coming out and that looks awesome and then the re if the reviews are strong i think they're going to position it in the holiday season maybe second half of october maybe november it really comes down to whether or not microsoft has anything else still to come this year but let's just say hypothetically i think we're technically due if we look at prior patterns for a forza horizon game and we know they announce oh, yeah. those in That's june true. and then release them in the second half of the year we don't typically get huge marketing cycles around a title like that so if that were to come in the second half we're kind of in a situation of how do you space out all these games because you have to fit in avowed indiana jones call of duty i believe jez corden said on the xbox podcast today with rand that towerborn has been delayed into the second half of the year so that's another title you have to make room for and all of a sudden are we in a situation of there's going to be a game a month starting from september through december i wouldn't be mad at that that'd be that'd be good i would be fantastic you know you know what is interesting microsoft has to see these because there has been a quite the response to indiana jones on social media on YouTube, people are, are interested in this. You can clearly see it. Uh, I don't say more than what Microsoft would typically do, but it's definitely uh, more than average, I'll say for them. I wonder if they do look at that and realize, wow, there is, there's a lot of strength in these licensed properties. Cause obviously the blade is happening. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they go, Oh, let's get, let's get more of these. I mean, I know there is a lot in terms of licensing fee. We, we saw it with, with Marvel and, and Sony, like we, we saw the hard numbers, but it, I mean, you can't deny the reception these licensed properties get, especially if you hand it to a studio that is competent. I'm not talking like game mill or something like that. Who gets GI Joe? I mean, like this is Xbox going to Bethesda or Bethesda going to machine games, of course, under Xbox getting Indiana Jones from Lucasfilm. So I, I do wonder if we see more of these from Microsoft uh, after the reception. I think it's going to come down to, is there an IP that really suits the developer in question? When you go from Wolfenstein to an Indiana Jones game with machine games, it kind of feels as though it's a natural evolution. They've always made games about beating up and killing Nazis, and they do really well with that particular time frame. So, hey, Indiana Jones is kind of that natural next step of progression, and they're a fantastic studio to take on an Indiana Jones game, and I think they really capitalized on that with this first trailer and they seem as though they're capturing the humor of the franchise as well as we saw todd howard steal the relic towards the end of the mm -hmm. sequence so i think if you find the right developer to get a licensed property kind of like what sony did with spider-man insomniac is a good fit for spider-man so yeah no i would agree yeah. if machine games is the good fit for indiana jones and this can become a i don't want it to be the only thing that they do. I want to kind of see them do a cycle of, hey, here's Indiana Jones. Our next game, we go back to Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. Then we do an Indiana Jones game again. Instead of being like an insomniac of 
everything we're working on for the next seven years is Spider-Man or Marvel related. Like that's not exciting. It becomes very rinse and repeat and it can risk that feel of stagnation. So if Microsoft is to go with that licensing route, and now that you have so many studios under your umbrella, reach out, but go beyond just Disney, go to, you know, Fox, all these different type of studios and say, what character do you have that has still some mass appeal that we can use and, you know, bring some of these IP back that we grew up with that haven't had games or when we were younger, they were basically just forced into the shovelware type category where nobody was excited about any type of media tie-in because they were always trash. Now they can finally be quality. Well, there there appears to be, I, I guess, a relationship then between Lucasfilm and Xbox in some way, even if it was with Bethesda, it's still adjacent to Xbox then technically. I mean, they could, I guess, zoom in a little bit, get kind of specific, not just make a Star Wars game, but make an Obi-Wan Kenobi game. Like, remember they did that? I mean, that was done back on the original Xbox where I think Lucas Arts developed that one, but it, it was a thing and it was one where they focused in on it or like, there's been that Mandalorian game that's been rumored for a while that that's kind of what I'm picturing, not just a star Wars game, but like focus in on specific intellectual properties that Lucasfilm has built up in like their streaming. And then they can take them over and make a game out of it. You see, that would be the thing is that if you're going to go this route of licensing IPs, I want you to go what we're seeing with Indiana Jones, create original stories. Don't try to like, you know, recreate a movie or anything. Do an original story, do your research, do everything that really pays homage to the franchise that you're looking to represent. And that can go a long way in really building a relationship. And if you can make it a pivotal tentpole to your brand, like Sony has used Spider-Man, that's their thing. People will buy a PlayStation to play Spider-Man. Yep. If Microsoft can now use Blade, Indiana Jones, get a Star Wars game because they feel as though they're willing to license that out to anyone who comes. We've seen EA, we have Ubisoft making one. Secure something related to Star Wars if you see some strength in that. Get as many as you can, but just be sure that you also don't lose your identity in the process. Continue to create original content and IPs that the studios that you now have under your umbrella have really made their reputation on. Don't strip Spyro away from Activision. Allow that team to make a new Spyro game or a Crash Bandicoot or a Tony Hawk. But if that team comes to you and says, hey, we have interest in making- The Incredible an, Hulk. Yes, oh. an Incredible Hulk, a Captain oh, okay, America, good. a Thor good. game. Oh. And you say, okay, you guys are good fits for this. Let's see a pitch. That pitch is excellent. We're going to go to Disney and we're going to show them what you have. And if we can make this a reality, we will. And then you go back to those IPs that once again made you famous and renowned. That's a good approach because it allows you to have a lot of variety and diversity in your lineup and also cater to the up and coming audience that frankly has grown up on the MCU and they're looking for Captain America games and Black Widow games and the Incredible Hulk and all those characters that when we were younger, they had some games and mostly they were terrible. We didn't even want to buy them, but that's a good secondary option that I think Microsoft should heavily consider. Again, as long as you have a development team that can do the IP justice.
don't do it just for the sake of having it, because if you do, what you end up with is Rocksteady's Suicide Squad or Crystal Dynamics, oh. The Avengers. Oh, oh. God. had to bring up Suicide Squad. I thought we're almost past that. We're seriously, we're like three weeks away from that game coming out, being buried, and we can all move on. It'll Gosh. never go away. Uh, well, look at you I, from the shelves. As I mentioned, all these games coming out in 2024, though. So Avowed is fall. Uh, Hellblade 2, May 21st. Visions of Mana is over the summer. Fall 2024 for Aura. Indiana Jones, just 2024. I mean, they still have their showcase coming up in the summertime. And there are also discussions around what Activision Blizzard might have for the year. Ah, this is this year is is going to be pretty packed for Microsoft. It feels like so if and if some of these games really hit, like they come out and it's like, all right, this is an incredible game or something. Like Metacritic is blowing up. It's it could be a pretty strong year, I think, for Microsoft. Like the next twelve months could be substantial for them. So that's it's what they've been waiting the, for, and it yes. seems like they've set it up. And that's the thing. I think the June showcase could be substantial for Microsoft. My only concern with 2024 is that every game but Indiana Jones they were willing to give a be it summer fall time frame mm. Indiana Jones they simply said 2024 which suggests to me maybe they're not confident enough to lock in that fall window for the game and I hope it doesn't slide to 2025 because if it does I feel as though people are going to say that is a significant blow to the year and Microsoft's year wasn't as good as we were all anticipating in January, but I'm hopeful the game does make this holiday because it can be positioned as a very significant release. Is there any way that Microsoft looks at the calendar and goes, okay, we just don't have room and maybe we could spend a little more time polishing Indiana Jones and it ends up in 2025. Cause if a is, fall i mean aura is that's pc i think that can just release whenever it wants to that's fine but you have like avowed and then you have call of duty which is going to be massive like they're going to clear the runway for that game whenever that wants to come out okay nothing else is coming out within like a two-week span of that thing before or after uh i almost wonder if they start looking around and going well Indiana Jones, and then obviously any other third-party games that could be coming up and surprise people. So that's my only concern. You might be right, is that they're leaving the door open just in case they either need more time just for polish, or it's just too crowded and it's, we like, can start off a, really strong in 2025 with this game now. If the if I had to choose a game out of the developer direct lineup that we saw to be delayed, mm -hmm. it'd be avowed. Yeah. Delay that too. Really, yeah. Delay that till early 2025. Well, I don't think the lineup is significantly weakened by that absence, but then you do run the risk of, do you want to have Avowed and Fable in the same calendar year, potentially? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. That's tough. That's, that's actually really tough. And that's eh, a good problem to have, though, when you have games. That yeah, it's kind of a foreign thing for Microsoft right now. They haven't had this many been. games in a long while, in a long time, and now they're might have to sit there and actually look at their lineup and say, do we have to make a strategic delay? They've mm. come a long way since Phil Spencer saying it was unacceptable for what year was that? 2022? 2022. It it, it, there was one year he's like, it's unacceptable. Was, now they're to the point where yeah, it was maybe, 2022. Games around or, yeah, 2022. Yeah. They had, um, I think that was the full release of Grounded and Pentiment. And that was their entire year. Hey. 
things are shifting. Things are turning around. So let's uh, let's talk about. <laughs> I do I do want to. So there you go. Developer Direct. I thought it was good. I put a solid B, maybe B plus on this one, just for the gameplay there. Uh, the fact that everything is coming out seemingly this year, and I thought Indiana Jones looked good. Yeah, I think it was a strong. I think a B plus would be fair in this case. All the games appear to be quality of varying degrees. Indiana Jones was definitely a high note to end on. Hellblade 2 getting a release date. Fantastic announcement. Avowed, I think it did enough to show to those interested in the game that there could be a very strong narrative with decisions that will have consequence. It just comes down to that combat and Ara. Sorry, I just don't care. Let's talk about Pal World. Did you download this? No. Nate didn't download this. Everyone in the chat can make fun of him. He didn't download it. It's on Game Pass, by the way. You just it, it's it's like nine gigabytes, I think. Okay. Not, I don't think it's, it's not a large game. It's, not, it's it's it was. Remember, it was you know what it was. It was the one that was dubbed Pokemon with guns. Yeah, I vaguely remember seeing a trailer of like a Charmander with a submachine gun shooting hey. a Pikachu and just saying, what the hell was that? Hey, <laughs> and they, they have good aim. It's uh, but it, it came out, exploded online. I mean, in terms of just just interest, 370,000 concurrent Steam players sold over a million copies in no time. I mean, it's like 12 hours. Hey, we sold a million copies. And that's not counting on Game Pass, where if you look, there's people all over the place right now on social media talking about this game, playing seemingly on Xbox a lot of the time as well, which, I mean, that's a that's a big move for Microsoft without it. I feel like they didn't necessarily go into that thinking, oh, this early access game is going to have this massive, massive interest at launch. They might have looked at it and said, this could be a, this could be kind of cool to put in there. Why not? But I, I feel like behind the scenes for what they paid to get it in there they're probably like okay this is incredible for us right now uh because it, it just entered early access and it's technically an xbox exclusive right now in terms of consoles it i did play it nate played it for i think probably about four hours at this point i'm just about done building up my base and fighting the there's like a big boss you fight at the end at like the end of this opening area but from what i can tell it is it's a survival game that has Pokemon elements, obviously, to it. And then a little bit of Breath of the Wild is in there. Like, you, you get the the glider in the game, and then you can also climb up the side of mountains and, and that sort of thing. And it's not as in-depth for survival as... I was concerned I'd get in there, and it's like, okay, your character's thirsty now. You have to do this. Okay, your character's sick. Like, I, I didn't realize it was going to be a survival game that I was getting into, but really you just have a hunger meter, and it's like super infrequent that you have to eat like your hunger does not go down that fast and you just always have i just have a ton of like berries and stuff on me so occasionally i have to go into my into my menu and hit y a couple times and my character's fine then uh, but for the most part it's an action rpg and you go around and you just beat up pokemon with a club that's what i've been doing you just show up and you just beat them over the head with it and then you throw what are they called? I mean, they're Pokeballs, basically. You craft them. So there's a whole crafting element to the game. These pals is what they're called. Pal. I feel like Sean probably wrote part of the game or something. But uh, 
all these you get these pals and after you capture them you can set them to work for you at your base so i've upgraded my base and i have like five or six of these little things running around building stuff for me collecting resources and then i'm just off on adventures finding these ruins and uh different things laying out in the world and catching more of these pals so yeah, but i don't it's... know if there's an evolution tree to them or not uh, i'm not i haven't seen okay. any of that but they level up as you walk around and do things with you so they're gaining experience your character gains experience there's an entire stat system for them but then there's also technology points that you get you then build out like a technology tree that lets you craft more stuff and i looked at the bottom there's rocket launchers down there so i need to like i need to get to the bottom to get rocket launchers Is this really, is this just a meme game? You know what? I went into this game thinking it was going to be, so they had a lot of promises they made go leading up to release. And I was like, there's no way they have all that stuff in an early access game. And it's shockingly robust, like way more than it should be. There's jank to it. There definitely is because again, it's early access and they make that very clear. I think on steam, it's a $30 game. So it's like, not even the full price or anything, but you go into the game and I was just expecting a very shallow experience. And there is just consistently more and more stuff being added in to where you have base building. So I built like a little house and, uh, and it's, it's the crafting and stuff is, is fine. I'm looking through it. They have all kinds of stuff that you can see to build your base out with for resource management. You can like eventually you have your, little pals building you have like a whole gun like like business syndicate thing going on even where you have the pals building guns for you and, and it's uh it's it's more than i thought it was going to be but also i wasn't expecting what it is like i thought it was going to be pokemon just slightly more adult with guns and weapons and your character actually just beats the pokemon up and stuff but you don't even have to do really any of that necessarily after you collect enough of these pals you can just kind of resource manage and build out your own little business and area in the world so there's multiplayer to it multiplayer has been absolutely crushed because so many people are trying to play it but this kind of has vibes when arc was really popular like that mm. where people were just flocking to whatever platform they could play it on in this case it's pc of course with steam and it's xbox and people were just telling their friends about it. And this is linked kind of to Pokemon. Not that it's, it is Pokemon, but it's obviously it's pulling so much from it. This many people playing this quickly though, just in early access. I don't know this, this could go places. This could be a serious, serious thing for, I mean, yes, Microsoft, but also the, the company I've never even heard of them. Uh, hold on. Who was it? But like, this is the first that's time the thing. Is pocket this... pair. Pocket Never. pair. Okay. It's all on Real Engine. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the thing. It feels as though the game's popularity is mostly just due to memeing. And in a few months, three months, it's going to be completely gone. No one's going to be talking okay. about it. Remember when Temtem was a big deal? Got a 9 out of 10 rating. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember Temtem. But here's the thing with Temtem. I feel like they tried to be too much like Pokemon Whereas this plays more into the, what's still a pretty popular genre, but like the survival aspect to it. And they've just gone off the wall from there. Like, so it's, it's so out there at times that it feels like it's its own game. 
even though there there are elements where you look at it and you're like, okay, that's kind of Pokemon. Apparently they have like their own Team Rocket faction in the game. One time I was walking through a field and someone came up with a gun and pointed at me. And I was like, what is happening right now? And I just took my bat out and smacked him in the head and they fell over. <laughs> so there is like, there like apparently you can capture other humans with the Pokeballs and uh, there's a lot of stuff happening here. So you can capture the humans yes. in the Pokeball. <laughs> yeah. What happens if you do that? Do you like enslave them to work I don't know, on your people base? People were showing it online and I was like, I guess I'll try that at some point. But it's, I recommend people download it and try it because it's more fun than I than I was expecting because I'm not typically into survival style games, but the survival element is so on like the back burner that it's it's not the main focus of the game. So like you have temperature as well, but it's again very similar. In fact, the temperature gauge looks just like the the Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom one where you just need clothes when it's cold out kind of thing. And you, you craft them at a, at a bench and it's just armor. So it's uh, more fun than I thought is what I'll say. And I feel I feel like most people, it's a nine gigabyte download. It's on Game Pass. If you have Game Pass, I recommend just downloading it and trying it and see what you think. You might be surprised. That goes for you too, Nate. I mean, I've seen some of the footage. It does not look like a game that I would play for more than maybe two hours. And I still have Prince of Persia to play through. So I'm more than content right now. I am 13 hours in. I, I think you're I'm close. 70% through. Oh, yeah, you're almost done. Yeah, but I'm doing a lot of side quests and stuff, you know, breaking okay. the jars of sand so I can get the lore and the messages of ancient times. Good game. Good game. It's a fantastic game. Very good game. Highly recommend Prince of Persia. It actually came out... Was that, was that today that came out? Yesterday. The... Today, yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah, yes, so it was the yesterday. official release. Hmm? Okay, I recommend it. Prince of Persia, awesome game. Yes, if anyone asks, it is worth the $50. I do believe it is. The amount of time I got out of that game. Oh, absolutely. 23 or 24 hours now. Yes, it is worth the money. Good game. Yes. Good game. Out on all platforms, too. Uh, Nate, what would you think of your ROG ally? Did you get a chance to use that thing? If not, I will have to I... see you here in front of everyone. Took it out of the box. With uh-huh. a lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. I had some recommendations of games I should download mm-hmm. on it. And I was hit with just update after update after update. So it is currently charging and updating. Disappointing. Disappointing. You didn't tell me it was going to have to do about a dozen updates. It's a PC. It's running. I thought I, was gonna, I thought I was going to open it, turn it on set up my account and you know go to game pass pc download something like forza horizon or gears 5 with ease no it's you have to update the driver now you have to update windows now you have to update the xbox app now you have to update the xbox app again now you have to update this driver now you have to update the sound driver update your wi-fi driver if i hit update all it's like well we have to finish the installation of this one before we can update the other so you have to restart and then the show here started so that's where i stopped it's doing whatever it has to do automatically at this point and nate it's not a galaxy s5 it gets relevant updates one <laughs> galaxy s5 works it oh, does God. what it has to do does it i feel like that's why yes. we lost that everybody one two switch 
No, we lost everybody's one two switch because one two switch is a terrible game. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. Like, can't I can't say it's and not. We also lost because we had to do a rhythm based game with no sound. And on stream. <laughs> and on stream, where we're watching people in a field just lift their phones up and down, and we didn't know what we were supposed to do, and we ended in a draw because nobody knew what the hell they were doing. It was a good episode. It was a good episode. <laughs> It, it was probably it the Galaxy S5. We got we got to be honest. It was probably the Galaxy. That was the outlier. No, yeah, was it was the, the game. Mm -hmm. It was just the game was bad. So the and saga we, we have to do Nate and his raw ally continues. Once it's done updating, I will give it a try. I'm a, I want to play Gears of War Five on it. I want to see how the game you can looks. Download Pal World. Look at that. I am not downloading beautiful thing. Pal World. <laughs> I want to download something Perfect. demanding, something of interest. Maybe I'll download Halo Master Chief Collection. Do that. I feel like Quartz that? is not a bad one to check out, but hey, Power World's only like nine gigabytes, man. There you go. You're in. No. And she used that higher refresh screen too, now that I think about it. Actually, I can play Resident Evil 2 Remake. That is now Play Anywhere. That is a good one. That was a good one. I could I could put that on there. I imagine I'm gonna have to tweak a whole bunch of settings to let uh, it run and look surprised. good. You'd be surprised that one on. I know on the Steam Deck OLED, which technically is less powerful than the ROG Ally, especially when you pump the ROG Ally's like wattage up, uh, that still can hit 90 frames for that 90 hertz screen. So I I even if I cap the 60 and I turn some other things up like visual settings, it still hold it pretty well. So that ROG Ally will actually play Resident Evil. Pro two remake definitely probably like a good 60 frames when you play around the settings yeah, it'd be a nice little thing maybe mm -hmm. to go through one of the optional like was it path b maybe i'll go mm -hmm. through with leon on the rog nate we have to uh we have to talk about the elephant in the room here on your was it this is on your nate the hate podcast right what's you that? started all kinds of stuff online over this. This got this got kind of out of hand, actually. You told you said on your podcast that you heard about one Microsoft game that was in, you said in the game of the year conversation, mm -hmm. right? Give me their conversation. You didn't confirm or deny if it was ever nominated or anything. Conversation. Mm -hmm. All right, a game from Microsoft that's been on Xbox and PC, short Game Pass, what have you there. Uh, and now it'd be moving to other platforms. This started off the entire windfall of Microsoft is going third party now. Uh, they're going to be pushing everything to other platforms. It was social media going down the rabbit hole, and it was wild stuff. Nate, what do you have to say for yourself? Nothing that I already haven't said. What'd you say? I forgot what you said said an acclaimed first party game from Microsoft will be coming to competitor platforms in 2024. Mm. So like Sea of Thieves? Wait, that wasn't in the game of the year conversation. Sea of Thieves was uh was brought up. That was Jeff Grubb then Steven Totillo also kind of backed that up as well, but they weren't able to confirm Steven wasn't that it was still a current plan. As it sounds like uh, Microsoft's kind of just played around with the idea of these different games going to, we can just throw PlayStation out there as an example for quite some time. Also, there was like Halo DS. Like this isn't a new concept necessarily. I guess it maybe 
becoming more public and potentially being a reveal, we could just say, I'll just say either it could be at a, a state of play or a Nintendo Direct randomly could pop up. We'll say Hi-Fi Rush. That's the leading, that's the that's the leading theory right now. Technically, then they'd be like, okay, whoa, so stuff's happening behind the scenes. But would this would this really be a problem? Hypothetically speaking, of course, Nate, if Hi-Fi Rush showed up on other platforms, so does that start? the the snowball down the hill if you will and start seeing gears and halo and other stuff show up on playstation for example i would say no i don't see if any other first party game from microsoft came to another platform i don't know why the immediate reaction or thought process by others is that it would mean halo gears of war forza or tentpole franchises would necessarily have to follow. Microsoft's been very clear in their statements that dating back to the Bethesda acquisition, that they would review multi-platform games in a case-by-case basis. So as long as you continue down that path of case-by-case and you make the decisions based on maybe overall brand appeal of a select franchise or even performance and value it has to the Xbox brand by itself, I don't think it's a detractor from the Xbox on its own because at the end of the day when you think of the xbox you're not thinking of a smaller franchise something in the lines of sea of thieves you're thinking of halo you're thinking of gears of war forza things of a high caliber and if microsoft continues to keep those exclusive to their console that provides an incentive to invest and purchase an xbox system a title like sea of thieves going multi-plat i would view in the same vein as minecraft Where's really, right, like, like how does it hurt? Stuff, right? yeah, it's a server-based thing. It allows extra right. revenue yep. to come into that development studio and Microsoft as a whole, and they can continue to support the game or they can use that extra revenue to fund the sequel or other experimental games within their vast catalog of developers. So I don't see really how it spells doom in any way for the brand, but you know, it really comes down to Microsoft coming down with very clear and concise messaging of if this is the avenue that they're going to explore they have to be willing to just lay it out there and be very clear of how they're approaching this and if it is continues to be a case-by-case basis say it and that's fine but right now i don't see any reason for any doom or gloom around the xbox brand it's at the end of the day this is a business and you know, yet Tim Stewart has come out and he said, we want to put games on different platforms. People took it as misspeak. Then this week, he also kind of had a repeat of a very similar stance. So you could argue that the statement made this week saying, oh yeah, with Activision, we can now be a publisher on all platforms was strictly referring to Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. But if Microsoft sees value in bringing a handful of IPs or just a few IPs to different platforms, I don't view it as a negative. At least not in the immediate, but it really comes down to the messaging and how Microsoft approaches potentially this type of initiative. Yeah. So I I was, I've been looking around to see what the general reaction and reasonings were for them. And a lot of it does come back to the console itself. Like it, the idea that Microsoft would start to see less and less interest and less and less importance in the console. And then eventually we get to a point where they don't really need it anymore. I feel like that's 
the main concern that people are putting out there right now is could we work towards that future sooner than expected? And I say sooner than expected because I kind of look around and think that many people believe that we are eventually going to get to a point where the console kind of goes away. It sounds weird now, but I mean, who knows 20 years from now where we are with technology and all these publishers really seem to want that like the idea of subscription services, maybe not every single one of them, but you hear them talk about it like Ubisoft, for example, uh, that sort of thing. So it, it does make you wonder of the console's lifespan in general. And with Microsoft, the Xbox series is technically tracking behind the Xbox One. And that seems weird to me because the Xbox One had such bad PR to start. And I just feel like it never caught any real acceleration throughout the generation and ended up like below the 360 by a, a serious margin. And now I wonder if the Xbox Series will continue to work in that direction like do you think it's an issue if the xbox series doesn't catch say the xbox one this generation i don't think so the problem is we don't know what microsoft's internal expectations are for the xbox series line of hardware in terms of sales or even growth over that of the xbox one because you could make the case that up to this point of the generation when we've looked at supply of the Xbox Series X, even the Series S, it seems as though Microsoft really wasn't producing these at a high level. They were almost producing them to demand. And that's very unusual from a console manufacturer to see that type of approach. Usually you want as many systems on shelves as you can get because you want to sell them to the consumer. Whereas Microsoft, the Xbox Series X, they had to come out, what was it, last year to say, we're finally putting more on the shelf and you can order them on Amazon without going on a list. Yep. That's baffling that three years into a console generation that there was still a list to order the game from online retailers or to even have to come out and say, we're going to ship more Series X this year. Why such hesitation in shipping your flagship system? It kind of feels as though maybe Microsoft has been slowly making a pivot towards just service. Whereas you look at Nintendo and Sony and you would say they are hardware companies. Above all, they want to sell their box in turn to sell their heart or their software. Mm -hmm. Whereas Microsoft right now is trying to sell you the hardware in order to sell you the service known as Game Pass. But Game Pass is also available on PC. It's also available on Samsung televisions. So their interest is to sell that service. So hardware is really just the conveyance in which you sell the service of Game Pass. And that's where like, you have some people speculating, oh, if they do bring a select few games to a competitor platform, does that mean Microsoft is bowing out of the hardware industry? Absolutely not. The hardware industry is still going to be important to Microsoft because they need that means of selling the service in some way. And the Xbox as a box is going to be that conveyance. That's not going to change. And they would still have an advantage of if these games, you know, remain a timed exclusive for, let's say, up to two years. If you really have an interest in that game, are you going to buy the Xbox or get Game Pass on PC, play the game day one, either by buying it or having Game Pass? Or are you going to wait two years to then pay full price to play it on your PlayStation. I Yeah, I get the idea of 
we'll port it later kind of thing. I mean, that's what Sony's doing with PC right now. So that's that idea has right. been in play, right? Mm-hmm. The the thing that's so interesting about Microsoft is it kind of feels like one part of the company's got a certain vision and the other part of the company has a different vision. And it's the, the messaging, as you mentioned or alluded to before, is very mixed right now because on one side, it feels like Phil Spencer is playing into the idea of there being exclusivity for games and trying to be straightforward about it. But on the other side, as you mentioned, uh, Satya Nadella even discussed this when he was talking about Activision Blizzard and you said uh, Tim Stewart, where they don't necessarily understand that world. So they're like, oh yeah, these, we're just going to sell this software everywhere. It's going to be great. Look at all these people we can sell to make money. But I, it there's more of a, a long-term vision of if you have the catalog and the games here, people will then come here. So that, to me, that's kind of the way a lot of us, I feel like older people look at it. It's like you make the games to attract people to the hardware that in turn brings them into your ecosystem that you then continue to sell software to. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's interesting for Microsoft and the path they're taking right now. And maybe some of this has to do with them buying a lot of these, these bigger publishers like an Activision Blizzard and like a Bethesda or ZeniMax where they already have the feeling of oh we want to put these games on multiple platforms and now it's like okay you're just going to put them on this platform Mm -hmm. Uh, so there could be some cultural clashes we'll say behind the scenes there even but microsoft one way or the other let's say they just start putting games as you mentioned on xbox then on game pass first then it goes to other platforms like hi-fi rush if that showed up on the switch and we'll just say the next direct right boom there it is and it shows up a few months later or something with a solid release date they give us. Pre-orders are open. That game would do pretty well. I think they would find an extra half to a, even a full million copies on the Switch. And that would uh, that be, that'd be pretty big for them considering they had, what, 2 million players was the last number I saw them announce. And that's just players, so people who downloaded really from Game Pass for the most part. And I think that would just accelerate their plans to to do that with those one-off games or service-based games, like you mentioned with uh, Sea of Thieves. So mm-hmm. it is it is something that could mess up their console strategy, but at the end of the day, they're about revenue. And hey, if, if they turn in some serious revenue reports with gaming because they're selling these things on other platforms, their shareholders will be fine with it and probably even push them to continue doing it. See, one of the thoughts I've had in recent times is that when Microsoft really fully committed to the idea of day one releases on PC, I wonder if they maybe underestimated the amount of people who wouldn't buy an Xbox because they can just play those games on PC. Because that was never really an issue that they had experienced before. Because Mm. if you want to play those Xbox games, you had to buy the system. The second you made it day one on PC as well, you remove that incentive to buy an Xbox to that PC audience who otherwise would have had to buy an Xbox to play those games. And I wonder if Microsoft wasn't expecting that sizable audience to really just stick with PC as quick as they did. Do you think that that's going to eat into your hardware sales as well? Do you, do you think that was part of the pitch from Phil when he was talking to Satya Nadella about, oh, let's go buy Minecraft, and then we're also going to put these games on PC day one to open it up to a wider audience? and Because he had to have pitched like a 10- or 20-year plan, something crazy, and then also tied it in mm. the cloud. And I almost wonder if that was just part of the pitch. It's like, we're going to open this up and get it on a platform like the PC where we have Windows, and we'll tie it to our Windows store. And 
you might be right though about that like right then and there it might have said well in order to save xbox we have to open this up outside of xbox and i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a so nintendo and sony don't like take their game like nintendo is the, the, the most strict about it right they're like we're not putting these games anywhere else uh sony doesn't but eventually they do on pc and it's i mean it's just because they can they they have the hardware numbers it's like they they have a large audience they can sell these games to without much issue and i just feel like microsoft is continuing to look outside of xbox because costs on these games are going up and sony's going to run into this too eventually just just based on logic and math eventually they're gonna you could say outgrow the playstation user base and they're kind of i mean they're kind of flirting with that now with you know pc games happening sooner and sooner to where hell divers is coming out on playstation and pc at the same time so you see that's uh, gonna be that's gonna be the interesting thing is that let's just say not necessarily the playstation 5 generation maybe towards the end of it but even the start of the playstation 6 if sony gets to the point where they launch a playstation launcher on pc and they start doing day and date with their games you're gonna have to look to see if they see any type of hardware dip because pc is i'd say pc gaming is more popular now than it were 15 years ago because people are now they want to have those best visuals the best frame rates the best ray tracing and such and pc is always going to have that edge whereas you go back 20 years remember there was a period of time where the original xbox or even the 360 technically had a advantage over the pc sector that was the premier way to play games was on a home console at a time that is no longer the case Consoles are now secondary to PC, and there's that enthusiast crowd. So if you start putting more day-and-date releases, especially if you're Sony, what type of sales and hardware are you going to potentially see dip? It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be tens and tens of millions, but it is going to be something. And I think that has impacted Microsoft a little bit, and that's just not a conversation that anyone is having at this point because the damage or the impact of it is hard to measure because we don't have anything to really put it up against but i would guarantee that there is some percentage of individuals who would have bought an xbox series x be it for forza horizon or whatever didn't because their pc is more than capable enough of playing those games which is fine because that's what microsoft has gone out and said in their agenda you can play it on pc we're fine with that and that's where i wonder what type of internal goals they are really setting for themselves when it comes to hardware. Because we as a consumer, as fans, as personalities and commentators on the industry, we can only look at numbers and compare them to their competitors and say, well, PlayStation 5 is at 80 million. The Xbox Series X is at 50 million. Sony won the generation. But if Microsoft's internal targets for the generation were, let's say, 45 million, and they eclipse that, And then they saw a sizable increase of Game Pass subscriptions that, you know, let's say overdid their own internal estimations. They're viewing it as we had a very successful generation. And those are just those type of details we're not privy to. And it's becoming more and more difficult to say what determines a successful hardware in the current environment within gaming, because we see the hardware sales come out of Europe where the Xbox is down year over year. But the Xbox presence in Europe is very minimal to begin with. So it's not a surprise that the sales aren't strong there. 
we just don't know what they're anticipating in those regions. I just wonder if Microsoft's also hoping that there is a series buy into the cloud in the next five or 10 years or so. And maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons they're, they're thinking about their next system coming out sooner is because maybe it, maybe it does have a reliance on cloud and AI more so than we can think of now. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the only reason I can think of them trying to jump out ahead. They lost the, they said the most important generation when it came to digital goods, if they don't want to lose the generation that's coming up, that'll have to do with tying all that together with AI and cloud. So uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. That's, is there a game, Nate, that would show up, let's just say next year a game shows up on PlayStation from Microsoft. Is there one that would make you kind of look at that and go, oh, okay, whoa, what is what is Microsoft doing right now? What was happening here? I think the only type of game that would make me have that reaction is if it was one of their premier IPs. Like okay. if next year we saw... Like a, Gears of War collection or Halo Infinite's multiplayer appear on PlayStation 5, I think that would get me to say, whoa. That Halo. is Halo's that's the an one interesting. Yeah. Like that would be a yeah. thing of sitting there saying, now that's interesting. But anything anything else, it's a it's it's business. Okay. All right. I, I didn't know if a like Gears of War would have done it for you or, or something there. It'd have to be like an older title. Okay. I just okay. That's where like something like Halo Infinite has been out now for a while. If that went there, it would still be a case of wow, they actually put Halo on something else. Which yeah, we've all seen the tech demo of Halo on the DS, but different time, different place, different situation altogether. Mm. Well, I think it is for me. It definitely is Halo. If Halo showed up. I'd be like, ooh, that's that's an interesting move. Just because Master Chief is so tied in heavily to the Xbox console and Xbox brand. So that's uh, that's the one I would I think I would keep an eye out for there. But it's the second half of this generation is going to be it's going to be something (laughs) it really will. So I'm I'm curious to see how all that turns out. But that is that's actually our show for tonight. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Direct Xbox. And we're going to do a separate stream for like 20 or so minutes. We're just going to hang out with the, the patrons. So come on over to the Spawncast Networks, patreon.com slash Spawncast. We'll hang out over there. We'll have a stream go up in the next like three or four minutes. Hop on there. So everyone over on the Patreon should have the page appear for that over on the site. And anything else you want to add, Nate, before we head on over? Thank you for joining us for our first live direct Xbox show. Do you consider pledging to the Patreon page so you can come follow us into the Q&A bonus show following this immediately? So if you have any questions about any of the topics we just discussed, you can do so there. And thank you for watching. All right. We'll see you guys next time.